This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. Humanism is a progressive worldview that, without supernaturalism, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead meaningful, ethical lives capable of adding to the greater good of humanity. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our staff or board of directors. Okay, so now it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker for today. There's a lot to be said about Penny, Dr. Penny Grinstein here, um, but I won't read the whole thing. You can find it on our website. But briefly, uh, Penny's going to be talking about community planning for the marginalized. Uh, Dr. Penny Grinstein is a professor and director of the School of Community and Regional Planning and the Center for Human Settlements at at UBC. She specializes in the social-cultural aspects of community planning with particular emphasis on those who are the most marginalized in the planning processes. Her research focuses on developing strategies and interventions that encourage diversity, equity, and urban sustainability in the planning and design of communities. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Penny Grunstein to our talk today. Thank you. Uh, So thank you. I'm very pleased uh, to have been invited. Um, I actually um, looked and and found out a little bit about what the uh, what the British Columbia Humanist Society is about. Um, I'd actually I think I know knew somebody who who had belonged or knew parents of somebody I knew who belonged. Um, and um, I just you know before I start the the actual talk, I wanted to maybe just give you a little bit of my background and why I've sort of why I do and believe what I do and and what I'm doing. So. Um, um, all of my par- all of my grandparents and my father were born in Russia, uh, in small in small villages. They were called shtetls. I'm Jewish, and um, they left. Um, my my father was nine years old when he came here, and there's a family lore that he came when he was uh, when he came in June, and by uh, September, he spoke English with no accent, and my father really didn't have an accent. My father passed away so, um, n- uh, nine years ago um, at 97, and he, you know, all his life he didn't. And he was, um, so, so, you know, because of the experience in, in Russia, we really do have a very, very strong uh, sort of belief in, in, in what ca- Canada can do to, for its citizens. And I think that's been really imbued in me. Um, my father was um, uh, the town, uh, on the town council of a, of a small town in Saskatchewan where I was born and I grew up. Um, and then um, I think both my brother and I have now went on and sort of did sort of careers that tried to kind of make a difference. Uh, also in the Jewish religion, we have um, probably some of you have heard of this, um, uh, something called tikkun alam, which is um, really to, um, you know, it's, it's by, you know, the, the, as, uh, the importance, looking at the importance of using, of human responsibility for, uh, fixing what is wrong with the world. So, in terms of social justice and social and and using social action there. So, I think um, some of the things that you're ta- you, that your beliefs in the humanist society, I think, very much dovetail with some of mine. So, uh, so 
um, and then to kind of be a little, again, a little bit, I think, of a background of how I got into community planning, I think a lot of people don't really know what community planning is. And to be honest, I don't think my parents really even knew what community planning was. I certainly didn't when I was, I was first in uh, um, going to university. And I, uh, I studied sociology and actually fine arts. And, um, and then um, I, I uh, happened to have an experience where I met people who were architects, and I thought, oh, oh, you could change the world by making beautiful and, and uh, you know, um, socially, you know, relevant sort of architecture. So I went into architecture, um, and I actually have three degrees in architecture, and I don't do architecture anymore. But in the, in, when I was in graduate school, I, um, I really learned, uh, I, I was in a, something called a college for uh, environmental design where there was an opportunity to be taking courses in all these other disciplines. And, and from there, I really went into sort of what planning was about and really saw that that was sort of the fit because what my real interest was, was how do you make, how do you make change in, in, in communities? Um, and it isn't just about, about uh, buildings that are, that, you know, really fit people's needs, but that's part of it. But it's also the policies and, and, the, and, the, and the programs that do that. So um, if for those of you who don't really know what planning is, I'm just going to give you a brief definition. Um, uh, uh, it follows the, the, the formation of long-range visions, goals, policies, and strategies that achieve social, economic, and environmental sustainability uh, within a community in order to guide future uh, community development. So it's really about how do you make change within a very, very complex sort of system. Um, and also, I actually wanted to sort of just make a note that I, when I realized what the title of the of the talk was about, it wasn't really actually what I had um, I, I intended to be because um, certainly our school, the School of Community and Regional Planning, our our real mandate is to be working on how do you actually plan with. With, you know, with communities. So I would say that the title of my talks really should be community planning with and for for the marginalized, because it's it's really how do you actually, you know, listen and 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 sort of um, uh, how, you know let people really um, uh, evolve their own ideas about what it means to be living a good life and how and how you can do that through through policies and and programs. And so, so closer to what my sort of uh, interests are in, in community planning is something that's called community development planning, um, which really consists of sort of public participation and a sort of an interactive form of, of planning and design in which sort of desert, you know, in which diverse sort of stakeholders, community members really get input into how, how uh, planning can occur. Um, and so they're really contributing to the goals, objectives, um, you know, even the funds um, in a place like, uh, in, 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 even in, t in terms of allocating what funds uh, are available. Um, in uh, Brazil, um, they've experimented and, uh, with participatory budget making, where, uh, where in municipalities, uh, different stake, you know, stakeholders get to decide how to 
how, how funds should be spent. And that's, that's really, really critical because that, that's you know, how uh, municipal budgets uh, um, you know, can, be, can be used to make more effective, uh, to be a f more effectively address sort of the, the critical needs we, need, we have here, we have in, in the world. Um, and I know Vancouver at some point pl played with that idea, but they really didn't go very far with it. So, um, and so what I'm really interested in is what is called a bottom-up sort of planning process rather than a top-down planning process where, where sort of, you know, you look, you're working with different stakeholders, different community groups, different neighborhoods to really, you know, get them to sort of identify what their needs are and in order to, um, you know, arrive at something that is, that, that is workable. Um, now, we in um, you know in North America and I and I know other places as well, but we are we're really faced with with something that's called nimbyism, not in my backyard, um, and so uh, th that can be uh, an impediment to to doing this kind of bottom up planning when when one one stakeholder group is become has has the louder voice than others. Um, and those tend to be the ones who have the more, the most resources, are the the well, the most well off. All of those things. So that that can be a problem in that. But if you actually develop a, a kind of process where um, you're looking at the kind of trade-offs in in different kinds of planning, then you actually then it is possible for people to maybe see what would happen if if you're only putting resources into one thing. Then then what are the consequences for everybody else? Um, and so, you know, what a minimum I think of what this community development planning process would be is it would be to seek community consensus um, uh, for proposed allocation of resources um, and uh, among the many competing demands. Um, uh, but if in a more, you know, in a more vigorous way, I mean, I think it could mean um, have you know that community members really have an access to sort of the, all the planning tools that are available, um, and actually have um, some significant say in that. So that's sort of what I sort of work towards in the in the kind of work that I'm doing. So um, you know, but you have to recognize that we're also in a very uh, whether in a time where there is a lot of pushback from a, a variety of sources, there is sort of uh, um, you know different uh, very. There is, it's probably a time of the most extreme in terms of politics. Not so much in Canada. I mean, we're seeing it very much in the U.S. There's worrying signs that that this might also occur in Canada as well, where where the kind of um, you know the the rich and the poor, the 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 disenfranchised, the immigrants and the non you know and the and the people who've lived here i mean they're you know they're they're fighting sort of for li very limited resources so so okay so within that context <laughs> so where are we at in vancouver um, we're we're not in a great situation and i think um, i don't know how many of you live in vancouver okay and so who lives outside of vancouver yeah okay but you live you live in metro vancouver yeah new west, yeah. New west. okay so uh, what we're facing is, uh, you know, a number of crises, and I'm just going to really highlight uh, two of them, which is homelessness and affordable housing, and the opiate crisis, which 
um, you know, you may not think is a necessarily a planning issue, but it is actually definitely affecting uh, communities in a way. And, and one of the things that municipalities have had to do, even though they, you know, this isn't part of what they normally thought was part of their, their uh, uh, you know, their responsibilities, they've had to take this up because it has not been really addressed in other jurisdictions, provincially or federally, and it's really hitting and affecting communities very much. So, so here's just a little scan of, what, of what's occurring in terms of homelessness. Um, so um, um, I don't know if you, hear, you know about, are aware of uh, that every year um, the city of Vancouver and now Metro Vancouver and now it's actually being spread out to BC have been doing a, a once, uh, you know, once in time uh, homeless count. So it's done over a period of 24 days, uh, sorry, 24 hours, where, uh, uh, where you're looking at uh, uh, people who are living on the street and people who are living in shelters. Um, and so um, I've actually uh, volunteered for this for a number of years because I really wanted to, to see how, the, how this is, is done. Um, and um, my observations, as well as the kind of data that's come out, um, that there's been a 2% increase in homelessness in Vancouver since 2017, but more shocking, there's been a 19% increase in, in homelessness since 2014. Um, and there's been a 30% increase in, in Metro Vancouver homelessness since 2014, which actually really does show a kind of very disturbing pattern that, that people that are homeless in Vancouver are now moving out to other areas uh, because it's because you know it's it's become so dire in Van in Vancouver, um, and of those uh, 2,181 residents, um, these are are, are are facing homelessness in the city. Um, are, are homeless, are just abject homeless, living on the streets. 659 are living. Uh, um, 659 are living in the streets. Uh, 1,522 1, are living in, in sheltered locations, including emergency shelters, uh, detox centers, safe houses, and hospitals uh, with no fixed address. Um, a quarter of those are women. 0.5% um, uh, are under 19 years old. 9% are 19 to 24, um, 19, uh, yes, and 71% are 25 to 54 per, uh, uh, years old, and 20% are 55 years and older. 38% um, uh, of those uh, report two or more substance, uh, uh, the, uh, addictions to two or more substances, and close to half report multiple medical and mental health issues. And 40% are indigenous um, while, uh, of, those, of the homeless, while um, are, they are only 2.2% of the general population in Vancouver. So this is, this is disturbing in itself. The data itself is disturbing, you know, the increase in homelessness, all of these things. But what I, I found as sort of being a volunteer is that I really find that the methodology to report homeless is, is really severely, uh, it's really problematic because um, they're, 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 um, you know that you're only um, sort of collecting data on people that are willing to be collected, first of all. 
Um, and in, home, in, in homeless shelters, those are people that are, again, only willing or that the, the, um, the community work to bring to you to actually you know, have you fill in an a questionnaire. So you have to fill in a questionnaire. So um, in um, uh, Kamloops, they've done a much more rigorous um, uh, uh, methodology around collecting uh, homelessness where they've actually tied it to this, this point in time uh, count but then they've also tied it to all of these other, uh, all the data they could get on people living in shelters, people living in, in detox centers, all of those other things. And they found that the point in time count is only counting one third of the people in, that they've actually come up with. So if you're thinking about that, you know, thinking about that, then, I mean, we might be up to, you know, 7,000 people or, or more. There's also a whole other uh, group that you really can't count at all, which are the, the, you know, which are called the invisible homeless. Those are the people that are couch surfing, that are, um, uh, you know, living with family and friends, uh, sort of they're moving around, and there's no way to necessarily count, uh, to count those people. And those are the ones that are mostly, uh, uh, you know, well, there's a lot of youth that are in that situation, which is why I found it very surprising that the under 19, there was only 0.5% of the, of, uh, picked up because what, what is now being said is that there really is a crisis around youth, around youth that are, that are you know, coming from very sort of dysfunctional families that have had to leave or been asked to leave or, or for various reasons and are now living, uh, living without shelter. Um, so this is not a pretty picture, um, but if you kind of add to that the whole, the whole picture of, of uh, what, what you would mean by marginalized. Marginalized now mean in terms of afford uh, affordable means a whole swath of people because what you're looking at is, is, you know, when you look at people's income compared to housing costs, you're, lo you know, you, you're looking at just you know, a significant percentage of the population that are disen disenfranchised right now. And, you know, even though um, uh, we, you know, we do have, as everybody knows, very, very high um, uh, housing costs, but in a place like San Francisco that has even higher housing costs, what's different there is that their, their average income is actually higher than ours. So our, our sort of average income is you know, very low, and it's probably one of the lowest in, in Canada, um, you know, in an urban area, but our housing costs are, are the highest. So it's just, it's just a very, very unsustainable um, uh, sort of situation we're in, which is affecting people from low to, mi you know, to middle income um, households, and especially the young who are trying to form households, who can't find affordable rental accommodation, who can't afford you know, places, you know, any places to live. So they're moving farther away you know, into other municipalities in, in Metro Vancouver, or just opting and just saying, we can't make it here, and we're, we're moving out. And the consequences on communities communities are, are, are dramatic. I mean, if you're looking at places, if you look at neighborhoods like the, the, the west side of Vancouver, the kind of commercial um, uh, businesses that keep sort of move, you know, starting and then having to close because, uh, because there just isn't 
um, you know, enough street traffic people, you know, to get street traffic to come in, plus, plus the, the commercial rents are so high that you can't actually be doing these small businesses anymore. So there's major consequences. There's major consequences for our schools that have very low population compared to schools in Surrey or other places that are bursting at the seams. And, and that's, you know, and, and it's all, you know, it's, it, it really creates a very unhealthy, unsustainable community where we are, um, you know, where you know it's becoming, you know, dramatically polarized between either the very rich or the very poor that are lucky to get into sort of supportive housing. Then, coupled with that, I wanted to talk about the opiate crisis. Um, so, as you probably have heard in the newspapers, the opiate crisis is going up. Uh, the BC Coroner's Service. Uh, reports that 1,422 people died of an illicit drug overdose in the province in 2017, uh, an increase of 43% uh, since 2016. And if you're following the news, it looks like um, it's going to be even more this year, um, because even just in the in the last five months, they've they've really noticed an uptake in the in the number of of overdose deaths. Um, and approximately 80% of those suspected deaths last year involved the, the opiate fentanyl, um, uh, which is often combined with other illicit drugs, um, most often heroin, cocaine, or, or metamphetamines. Um, so how does, how does the, this crisis sort of impact uh, communities? Um, uh, where you know it isn't just in the downtown east side that those deaths are occurring; they're occurring in uh, all communities in in BC. Um, it's uh, um, it's a it's um, it's affecting uh, the workplace. It's affecting um, uh, you know families. Definitely, families are in crisis because of this. It, it's got all a whole huge ramifications. For, for our communities and municipalities have recognized that they need to do this. So they, you know, a, a municipality like Vancouver has somebody who is in the social planning department just sort of addressing the kind of drug, drug policies and trying to come up with, with ideas often linked to, to other, other policies around housing and, and other things. Okay, so what can be done? We're, um, there are things that are be done, and I don't want to just give you a really, really negative picture. Um, uh, there, we do have a really good confluence right now uh, between a, uh, a federal government that has become a, a much more active in, in some of the kind of really critical issues that are facing Canadians, and a provincial government that has become even more active, uh, especially in housing. I mean, they they were elected, um, you know, um, recognizing that people really wanted them to be addressing housing, and and in the last and since they've been elected, it's been quite amazing what they've actually done um, in terms of of uh, you know pu putting out money for for different kinds of things. So. So in the priority areas, and I think maybe after I finish talking, maybe we can talk about some of the other priorities areas. But these are some of the priority areas that we can be uh, that you know can be dealt with at the municipal level, at the community planning level, is affordable and secure and safe housing, uh, food security, 
childcare, transportation, employment opportunities, recreation spaces, and maybe some others that, that you can think of. But in terms of affordable, secure, and safe housing, um, the, the federal government um, uh, in 2016 started the process of developing a national housing strategy. Um, they brought various stakeholders together, including indigenous communities, community representatives from across Canada. Um, they're, they're about, you know, they, they've already sort of announced uh, sort of funding for this. It isn't a whole lot across Canada, but it's, it's funding secured for 10 years. Um, and it's really intended to be able to uh, partner with other, you know, with the municipalities um, or with the provinces in, in sort of delivering housing. Um, and as part of that, uh, as part of the national housing strategy, they are working on um, a kind of a mandate around housing as a human right, which is really quite significant. Um, um, has all sorts of implications for court cases and things like that, but still, they're really moving ahead on the, on housing for as a human right, which which they had agreed to, and uh, in the UN declaration, um, I think it was like uh, you know, it would be twenty or thirty years ago, but that nothing was done, and they've now actually doing again stakeholder um, consultations around that and looking at what. What can the federal government be doing in terms of making housing as human right effective? Um, the provincial government um, uh, has really kind of, I, as I said before, alluded before, really stepped up. So they announced 2,000 uh, temporary uh, modular housing. And if you haven't seen any, um, I'd really recommend that you try to just, you know, uh, go on this on the website on on the City of Vancouver Housing's uh, housing website and to find out where where they are in the City of Vancouver. Um, there's one in Marple that had sort of resistance, but it's been built. It was built in February and housed. Um, there's now uh, two more that has been actually built with very little uh, uh, sort of pushback in the downtown east side, and uh, one in, in one is now going up in uh, Mount Pleasant. Uh, but these but these 2,000 modular uh, units are are intended for all across uh, British Columbia, and um, they are they're uh, what what I really like about them. They're a made in BC solution. The, the modular units are being built in Kamloops. So it's being built by a BC company who's doing this, who's shipping it out to, to the various places. The actual uh, construction takes 90 days. Now that is unheard of. I mean, and I've seen some of the units and they are really, you know, they're very nice. And, for, uh, and what they're intended for is to be going into sites that may be sort of empty for a long periods of time or, or, or may not be redeveloped for long periods of time um, so that people can be immediately housed. And this is critical. I mean, given the number of, of homeless we've, you know, that we're now sort of seeing and, and, and a number of homeless that we're not even counting, um, this, is, this is a really critical move. And um, there has been resistance 
Uh, Maple Ridge turned it down, uh, but the city, but the BC Housing, um, the which is the the provincial uh, arm of uh, the, uh, that is that is doing the 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 uh, delivery of this housing um, had some land, so they could they're building it in BC in, in Maple Ridge. Nanaimo turned it down. Others have turned it down. Which you know, um, but I but I think that once people see how, how you know how uh, um, how much they can fit into a community, you know, for example, um, somebody. Was trying to find the 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 housing, uh, the modular housing complex in Marple and couldn't find it because it fit in so well with the rest of the community. So people are going to be able to see that it works, and and hopefully I've been urging the BC Housing to to do kind of research that looks at the impact of these kinds of modular housing. So that's quite really significant. The other thing that they've really done is is um, they're really encouraging a kind of innovation in the housing sector. And for a number of years, there's just been no action in the housing sector at all, federally or provincially. So the federal uh, response to housing was really to encourage home ownership. And that was it. Um, and the provincial had, you know, the, the, the BC government was one of the few in, in Canada that that could do something because they had some funding, but they were mainly uh, addressing uh, people, the seniors and uh, people, you know, who, who, like and homeless, like very, very special, you know, specific populations. Whereas the need is really in a much broader way for single parent families, for, for you know, a whole range of, of different people. So now they've actually been. Um, you know, if you if you follow the news at all, almost every week they seem to be coming up with sort of coming out with announcements. So yesterday they came out with announcement, or Friday, sorry, they came out with announcement around really significant funding for for uh, women who are fleeing uh, abusive relationships, for to be building sort of transitional and supportive housing for them. Um, they've in, they introduced in the the budget in February something called the housing hub which is um, uh, intended as uh, um, uh, for the BC, for BC housing uh, it, it's going it's within BC housing where they're going to be um, uh, facilitating partnerships for example with faith-based communities that had that have land so that they could be building housing uh, not just by selling their land but they could be facility you know uh, building housing you know maybe with a, a private developer or not but that they and then they could be managing that housing so there's so that the idea is that they want to um, uh, ensure that affordability that that there could be affordability in perpetuity which is why um, once you sell to a developer then you know there's no guarantee to a private sector guarantee uh, private sector development there's no guarantee that there would be affordability into perpetuity so, so they're looking at things like like a community land trust models, where uh, the land would be in in a kind of um, a trust uh, forever, so that the so that the value could be could be affordable, so that the housing could be affordable. So that's sort of some of the things that they're doing. I'm just and so uh, in food. Okay, so and then uh, in the at the municipal level, or well, this is actually something that the provincial government is now allowing. Uh, because municipalities are creatures of municipality, are, 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 are provincial municipalities are creatures of the provincial government, so that they they you know they are um, 
uh, only really allow, their powers are only what the provincial government allowed them. And one of the things that the provincial government just also announced was that they, they are encouraging rent only zones, you know, zones for in, in municipalities. So uh, where there would be only rental housing there, which is really significant because it would mean that there were places where there would be able, where, where developers would know that, that this is where there has to be purpose-built rental, which is really a critical lack that we've had because, you know, developers have really, you know, decided that, I mean, they've, they've for a number of years have only really built um, uh, condominiums or and 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 other kinds of units that for for um, for 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 people to buy. So you know if it, so this is something again that they they've done. So municipalities within this are are pretty limited. But um, the city of Vancouver has instituted a, um, a, 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 a tax on people or a, or a fee on, on people whose homes are empty, so an empty homes tax. Um, they're trying to do other things. And what they're hoping that the, with the money that can be generated from that and other things that they could be building more affordable housing. So they actually just announced a thousand more units. Uh, within the city of Vancouver, which is what, with working with, with the provincial government and, and the municipality and uh, nonprofit housing providers to build more housing. So we're, since in the last year, there's been a lot more activity than we've ever had. Now, whether that's going to be enough to really change the housing picture, you know, it was up to, but Something, it, it's at least dressing it. At least, at least they know, you know, they, they recognize that they have to do something. So, so in terms of food security, um, there's been planning in um, the city of Vancouver um, and other municipalities looking at the whole issue of, of what they call food deserts. So there's areas in a city that might, you know, that don't have nutritious food, access for people, don't have people, uh, don't, people, where people don't have access to nutritious food. For example, in the downtown east side, there just isn't that many, there's, a, you know, a lot of convenience stores, but they're not selling um, the kind of food that they necessarily need. So they're looking at that, and there's actually planners who are looking at how do you ensure sort of food security. There's, um, there's, and you might have seen now, um, you know, lots where uh, uh, that are being left vacant for in gas stations because the gas stations have been have been closing down, and you're seeing that they're building. They have these plots where where vegetables can be grown. So there's there's kind of a, a, a whole plan around around doing that. But I think more needs to be done. I mean, in concert with the, the food bank and other things, because this, along with affordability on, on around housing, people are really. Um, you know, they're they're living in very very extreme. You know, uh, uh, um, they really often don't have enough food to eat by the end of the month, and and um, people living in social security, especially by the end of the month, given all the the other costs. Childcare is another issue that that really is need needs to be addressed, and the um, the federal government. Is doing, you know, has recognized the importance of childcare. The provincial government has now tried to uh, introduce measures to encourage more childcare, um, sort of licensed 
um, um, uh, childcare facilities in, 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 um, in BC. And again, the city of Vancouver is um, really encouraging childcare facilities be put into any kinds of new developments, sort of as a way of encouraging, uh, you know, given the lack of, of, of childcare. So there's a real, um, uh, uh, there's a real problem on people access, being able to access uh, good quality uh, childcare. Uh, transportation is another huge issue around, uh, 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 that needs to be addressed for the marginalized. Um, if, um, if people can't get to sort of um, all of the facilities that they need, uh, if they can't get to you know, employment or if they can't get to, to their childcare, this becomes a major issue in, and becomes an impediment for them to sort of move forward in their lives. Um, and so um, I think we've had a lot of problems over the last little while around transportation. Um, Translink, um, you know, I, I don't know if you know, but they do. A few years ago, the the provincial government just fired all of the all the people all the the people on the board of Translink and you know all, all of these things. So um, there there does seem to be um, some more work that really needs to be doing. You know, rather than um, uh, sort of building more bridges, which uh, the, the previous government provincial government wanted to do, we actually need more more attention to public uh, public transit that people can use. Um, Employment opportunities. So um, again, this isn't directly what municipalities can be addressing, but they can definitely be encouraging through their. Uh, they have a, um, a city of Vancouver and other municipalities have a, a Vancouver Economic uh, Commissions that really uh, encourage employment uh, employment opportunities and look to that. Um, uh, that that seems to be. Uh, mainly focused on trying to get the kind of higher end sort of employment that uh, um, the, the high tech and, uh, and all of that. Uh, whereas what we seem to be really losing are the, low, the lower income sort of uh, employment opportunities. Um, recreation spaces, definitely given all of the, given the fact that people are living in high density areas um, with limited sort of resources, the, the importance of green space is even more critical. So, uh, so within that, I mean, and if people have other areas that I think they think they need to be doing. So, um, uh, so as I've noted before, community planning is really um, uh, limited by its by its power, like in the municipal level. It needs other levels of government, um, and um, to to really be doing this. And hopefully, we're at a period of time, and maybe. It might even be a sustained period of time where where there seems to be some some uh, uh, you know agreement or you know between the three levels of government around addressing some of these crises. Um, and uh, so I just wanted to sort of pose a, a few questions maybe to start the discussion. So um, if you were a planner, what would be your priorities and what would be your suggestions and what suggestions do you have to address lack of affordable housing, growing income disparities, mental health issues and addiction? Uh, what is your vision for a healthy community? What role do you see yourself playing in making a healthy community? And 
um, you know, given that we're that there is an election in October of uh, municipal uh, uh, mayors and councils across uh, across BC. You know, what role do you think that that, that will be playing in in terms of, of addressing some of these issues? Yeah.